Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture comes to us today from Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Then he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Hello, my friends. This is my first ever Zoom sermon and the first time I've recorded a sermon for consumption in a church in another state. So I'm thrilled to be sharing first-time experiences with you, my friends, at Church of the Beatitudes in Phoenix. It's lovely to see you all, although I really can't see any of you. These are some of these metaphors that don't really work in preaching in the Zoom age because it's so interesting to not be able to see you. Although, one of the advantages of not being able to see you is I don't see you looking at your watches or doing the, you know, coughing, you know, about 15 minutes into your average sermon uh, if it's not going well, everybody just there, there's a different kind of pandemic. It's the preaching pandemic where everyone starts coughing uncontrollably to let you know to wrap the thing up. So hopefully I will not need that today. And even if I do need it, I'm not going to hear it. So there we go. So we're in a series based on Jonathan Haidt's wonderful book, The Righteous Mind, which is all about moral foundations and how psychologically, emotionally, evolutionarily we develop our morality, and we've talked about uh, the moral kind of foundations of care and harm, fairness and cheating, loyalty versus and betrayal, authority and subversion. And today, I have the august pleasure, or maybe I just got assigned something because I was naughty at one of the Zoom classes or something. I've got this weird one, sanctity and degradation. Now, this is uh, so hate in every one of his in every one of his moral foundations talks about how these things develop, how these moral taste buds, these moral centers develop. And with sanctity and degradation, he thinks it's all about avoiding contaminants, avoiding contaminants. So basically humans, 
like cockroaches and rats are omnivorous, right? Don't you feel wonderful that you're in this wonderful company of cockroaches and rats? But we can basically eat pretty much anything edible unless it's, you know, laced with cyanide or something like that. But but basically we can eat anything edible. So if so, you know, you're always looking for new sorts of food that might nourish the body and supply the community. But also you're worried about food that could be dangerous, right? And this is, it's interesting because hate in his chap in his section on sanctity and degradation talks about how liberals often tap into the looking for new opportunity, exploring evolutionary trait and conservatives tap into the, oh, we're kind of afraid of being contaminated and finding that something we ate is poisonous is going to be bad for us and maybe even be lethal for us. So you've got you've got the this ancient evolutionary kind of trait here that goes back to uh, early human communities that are evolving, trying to figure out how to live and what they can ingest and what they can't. The original triggers for um, for sanctity and degradation as community develops and we get beyond sort of hunter gatherer or I'm sure like you know primitive sort of hominids, um, waste products and diseased people. So things that are wasteful. Uh, you know, bodily waste, other sorts of waste, um, and diseased people become things that are contaminated. Now, the current triggers, he thinks, are actually taboo ideas. Like, if you're a conservative, the idea that will contaminate you is communism, right? Or maybe it's critical race theory or something. If you're a liberal, it's racism or maybe patriarchy. These ideas that if if you give lip service to them or if you're sympathetic to the idea it will contaminate you and make you impure. The characteristic emotion around sanctity and degradation, de uh, degradation sorry, is disgust, right? You are disgusted by this thing that potentially can make you unclean, could potentially make you unworthy, could potentially make you unfit to be in human community. That what, and what are the relevant virtues? If you want to be one of the clean people. It's temperance, chastity, piety, and cleanliness. Now, again, I think very often we like this, this, I think this, this sort of moral foundation or moral taste, but seems at first glance, so irrelevant, right? Because most of us are not involved in punctilious, uh, you know, sanctifying communities where we're, most of us are not in ritualistic communities where we're focusing on cleanliness laws and things like this. Now, if you're if you're an Orthodox Jew, it's a little different. You're you probably a little closer connected and sympathetic to this kind of concern. But most of us probably just aren't in the kind of moral universe where we actually think about this. At least we think on an everyday basis. But as Hate suggests, what we often do is translate this then not to foods or fluids or things like this. We transfer it to people. Like those people will make us impure. Think about how, how seldom now you see people actually having deep friendships with people that are in deep disagreement with them politically or on some hot button issue, right? That we've got to move away from them lest we become un clean god forbid right or or think about even um in covid if you see someone that's 
um, breaking what you think are the responsible rules. That person is not only dangerous, they're unclean, right? We, we often have these categories for people that where we make them unclean, where we make them verboten or forbidden, we make them people that are on the wrong side of the line, right? There, there are people that we ought not to deal with. There are people that we ought not to connect closely with. Otherwise, we will be contaminated. Think of Lady Macbeth here, right? This great Shakespearean play, out damn spot, right? Um, she has this sense of that that she's been infected and she just can't get clean. Oh my gosh. There's this fear that we'd connect with something or someone that would make us unclean. And what would we do if we were unclean? Some of you might know Franz Kafka's book, uh, who it's called The Trial. And in the beginning of the book, the main character, Joseph K., is having a normal life. And then he's arrested. He's taken into custody. Nobody tells him what he did wrong. He said, what am I arrested for? He says, what have I been accused of? Nobody tells him. He goes from one kind of custody to another, to another, to another, to another, to another detainment hearing. Nobody ever explains it. Everybody is really grumpy. Everybody is really rude. Everybody is really curt. Everybody is very dismissive. And somebody, they keep saying, you'll have to talk to my supervisor. I have my order. So he goes from episode to episode, from hearing to hearing, custody to custody. Nobody ever tells him what he did wrong. And then he starts to reflect on his own life. He starts to actually sit and think about what maybe could have could he have done wrong? And he thinks, well, maybe it was for this, or maybe it was for that, or have I been arrested for this or that? I did this in my life. I'm ashamed. I never told someone. I feel guilty about this. Uh, this doesn't seem like it'd be bad enough, but maybe it is. Maybe this happened. He goes through the entire book never being able to know what he was accused of. And then in the very end of the book, one of the people has, has him in custody. One of his wardens stabs him to death and he dies. That's how the movie ends, right? This is not, um, you know, in America, the, the land of happy endings or thriller endings. This is not, would not make a great uh, serial drama, or maybe it would. Uh, who knows, for the darker people, you know, among you, summer blockbuster or something. He never finds out what he was arrested to, for he was arrested for, uh, and he dies. Kafka actually says, what in this book, like a lot of literary Theorists go back and forth. What's this book about? What is the trial about? Kafka actually tells us what it's about in one of his diaries. He said in his journal entry that we find ourselves in a sinful state, right? Quite independent of guilt. He says, we live in a world where, where we don't believe in heaven or hell. We don't believe in sin. We don't have these categories. And yet we still feel like there's something wrong with us, right? We feel, we still feel like there's something deeply lacking in us such that, you know, th th this guy, even though he didn't know what he was being arrested for and detained for, he had the sense that there was this, that he had this looming sense of strange guilt, strange uncleanness. He felt like he was not um, one of the sanctimonious. He wasn't clean. There's a, uh, there's a woman who, was a famous kind of editor of a few hip New York um, magazines. 
uh, I think like L and uh, she was one of the on the editorial staff of Vogue and a couple other consequential publications. Uh, her, her name was Christina Kelly. And she wrote this confessional uh, in a publication and it, it, it went kind of viral back in the day. But, you know, I don't know if, it, if this was in the days where viral was a relevant term, but um, she wrote this piece about craving celebrities. And her theory was that to be human is to feel inconsequential. So we worship celebrities and we seek to look like them. All the great things they have done, we identify with in order to escape our own inconsequential lives. This is kind of Kafkaesque, right? To, to feel, to be human is to feel inconsequential. But what, but that's just another term for sin or not measuring up very often or not feeling loved or not feeling important or not feeling clean. I think that's this, this sanctity kind of moral taste, but right? we don't feel clean. We don't feel like we're welcomed into the inner circle. We don't feel like we're welcomed into the inner ring. And we think very often, if we could just do something, if we could just uh, do the right ritual, or we could just become part of the right celebrity following group or the right peer group, or if we could, you, know, you think about like workaholism or so many other forms of performancism, what are they all about? Oftentimes they're about our own need to feel like we're enough. And I think very often our feeling of not enoughness is just a feeling of being unclean, that we feel like we're, there's something about us that's, that doesn't measure up. There's something about us that's just off kilter, that doesn't get us into the inner circles and the feeling and, and space of acceptance we want to be in. Now, this is one of the moral foundations, saying uh, the whole sanctity question that I think Jesus actually speaks to really clearly in the Gospel of Matthew in our scripture reading, and there's a parallel in Mark's Gospel. And he basically says that it's not what goes into you. Uh, it, it, he's pretty graphic, too, here about human plumbing. It's not what uh, goes into you, <laughs> uh, into your mouth and passes into the stomach that's expelled, because his earlier in the in the chapter, his disciples are accused of being non-sanctimonious. They're unclean because they're eating with unwashed hands. And he explains to his disciples, it's not what comes into them and is expelled that makes you unclean, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart, he says, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So it's interesting because I think you could find Jewish thinkers that would say, look, if you observe all the rituals, but are really lousy to your neighbor or really lousy to your family, or you're really a hateful person and, and you have all these morally despicable thoughts, feelings, passions, inclinations that, that you're not clean. But Jesus is going beyond this. He's saying that not only uh, are the rituals invalid if you are if, if you have the these dispositions in your heart that are inclined toward evil and sin and brokenness, 
He says, actually, the rituals have no power at all, and neither do the unclean food laws or anything. The whole human condition, our whole problem is internal. It's not outside in, it's an inside out problem. And so often, I think what we do is, I think it's very easy to look down on ancient cultures and say, well, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, those ancient people were really punctilier and, and really insistent on observing all these religious rules. And they were quaint and naive um, because they thought through these kind of ritual purity restrictions and observations, they could get a feeling of acceptance. But we're more sophisticated than that. And yet, aren't it like look at like the way we treat politics as a blood sport or the way we're workaholics or the way we feel like, oh my gosh, if I just look like the perfect parent, the perfect soccer mom, the perfect spouse, the perfect church member, if I just look like, if I feel like this, then I'll feel clean. We all want to feel clean. We all want to feel like we're pure. We all want to feel like we're worthy. We all want to feel accepted. We all want to get past the feelings of not measuring up like Kafka or like this woman who was one of these editors at L and Vogue, we all want to overcome our inconsequential feelings. It's a big burden we have. Now, it's interesting, On again, on the right and the left, we, we have very different kind of things that, like, if you're a conservative, you think certain kinds of things or people are impure. If you're a liberal, you think certain kinds of things are impure. But ultimately... I want to suggest that really when we're strident in our politics or in our ideology or in our pursuits of even good human things at a frenetic pace, often what we're trying to do, often what we're trying to, to get our hands on, we're trying to grasp, we're trying to connect with is this, is this thing that will make us clean. The thing that will lift us out of our inconsequential sequential tormenting feelings, the thing that'll take us out of the Kafka narrative with a looming, ambiguous, nameless, faceless guilt. We're all kind of looking for, for acceptance and connection and to be made whole. It's really interesting that in the entire history of the Bible, there's something that happens without exception in the whole history of the bible when something clean comes into contact with something unclean the unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean the unclean thing always wins it's like paper rock scissors right it's like um what is you know uh paper always covers rock rock always beats uh the scissors it's one of these things that the scissors always beat the paper In the Bible, the unclean always beats the clean. The unclean always contaminates the clean, except with Jesus. Jesus is the only example in the Bible where something clean makes the unclean clean, where where Jesus' cleanliness overcomes the impurity, overcomes the the contaminating factor of the unclean. And I think that's the power of Jesus, where in the midst of our battles to become clean on our own, and in, in these tribal 
kind of antagonistic conversations and pursuits or in our workaholism or in all of our kinds of perfectionism where we're just saying, oh my gosh, if I could just measure up and finally feel like I'm enough. In the midst of that, Jesus offers us a word saying, stop. Come to me. My yoke, my burden is easy. My yoke is, is light. Like it, Jesus comes and offers the burdened, overburdened, exhausted, striving perfectionists who are trying to kind of make ourselves clean, to find, to find the journey of, cle of cleanliness and purity. He offers us a word of hope. Because rather than outside in, in which everything, you know, Jesus is kind of critiquing this outside in approach where, okay, if you did the right rituals, if you did the right things, if you did the right practices, then basically your internal existential struggle would, uh, it, it would dissipate, it would be healed. No, no, no. It's got to be inside out. And Jesus is the one who, the incarnate one identifies, becomes flesh walks among all the uncleanliness and brokenness of humanity. In fact, gives himself up to the unclean to let them judge him that he might make us all clean, that he might make us all whole in a no-strings-attached, unconditional manner, which is where real liberation is. And then when you're liberated like that, with that kind of unconditional acceptance, you're free to have political passions or have vocational passions, but they don't define you. They don't, me they don't say whether or not you measure up. Because in the unconditional glimpse, grace, and embrace of God, you do measure up. And then you can go engage meaningful pursuits in the world in faith and freedom. Thanks be to God. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.